Since the pandemic, telehealth has become more and more common. But what is it and how does it work? Do you just FaceTime your provider whenever you want? Listen in as Sarah Compton and I talk about how we use technology now to make it easier to access medical and behavioral health services. Hey all, welcome to the one in five, the show for those who want to know how to be healthy, how to stay healthy, and how to promote health in your community. I'm your host, Adam Renshaw, and in today's show, we have Sarah Compton, and we're going to be talking about the use of technology in healthcare today and how it can benefit people. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Sarah Compton, so glad you're able to come in and meet with me today and talk about, I said technology in the intro there uh, in healthcare. Uh, Specifically, we're going to talk about telehealth. So, Sarah, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks so much for having me today. It's um, a real pleasure to be able to be here and and talking about the work that I do at One Health. Um, So, a little bit about me and my background. I have been with One Health for a little over two years now, uh, managing the telehealth program um, for the organization. And prior to that, I uh, worked for a, a health system, um, also coordinating and uh, building a telehealth program there. So I don't know if you um, remember a few years ago when we had a pandemic, <laughs> um, the, the use of telehealth really expanded a lot, uh, some would say exponentially during, okay. uh, during the pandemic. So thankfully, uh, the, the organization that I was working for had a, a bit of a program in place, as I know One Health did as well, prior to COVID happening. But that's really what um, uh, took telehealth sort of from something that was a little bit uh, more obscure, like really mm. into the mainstream. So um, that's just a little bit of background. And then my, I also have uh, a history working um, in public health as well. So that's really where I got my career start in uh, working for a local health department as well. So it's been a fun little journey, sort of work, sort of weaving through public health, um, hospital, health system, and now working for a health center. Um, it's a really good place to be. Okay. Where did you go to college at? Yeah, I went to, uh, did my undergrad uh, in Portland, Oregon um, at Lewis and Clark College. Um, and I studied, uh, my major was sociology and anthropology, um, cultural anthropology specifically. Uh, and um, it's, I think, an interesting again, sort of way to arrive in healthcare, specifically in public health. Although I have um, known quite a few people who end up in, uh, in public health and, and healthcare uh, who have that background as well. It's not something that I uh, really saw myself in. I didn't necessarily sure. have the career goal to be like, I'm going to go into telehealth. But uh, through a bunch of happy accidents, ended up in this role and um, So where were you involved in public health at? Was that in Portland or was that after you had moved to Montana? No, I actually moved to Bozeman to um, participate in in an AmeriCorps uh, position. Okay. So I did my AmeriCorps VISTA, which stands for Volunteers in Service to America, uh, at Gallatin City County Health Department. And my specific um, assignment uh, was 
vaccine promotion and um, breastfeeding promotion as well. So it was an interesting um, dual program, uh, two tasks that I did. But interestingly enough, when I was at the health department in 2009 during my VISTA um, assignment, that was when the H1N1 uh, flu happened. So that was sort of like my first introduction into the pandemic and public mm. health emergency preparedness world. And we did vaccine distribution. And so that was sort of like also a little weird little preview into sort of how what we, was coming. What was coming, <laughs> exactly. Sure. Cool. So so you're the telehealth program manager at One Health. It, you're also involved, though, in the Montana Telehealth Alliance and the Wyoming Telehealth Consortium, is that correct? That is correct. So uh, I think that, you know, when I started doing telehealth at my previous role, um, it was, uh, it can be like a little bit of a, a maybe like a little bit of a lonely <laughs> uh, uh, role, just because, um, you know, I was a team of one uh, at that organization and really like sought out my colleagues across the state and uh, at the time, that was the Montana Telehealth Alliance. And in that, I found, uh, you know, my colleagues, really, the, my cohorts across the state who have similar roles in other organizations. Okay. Um, when I started, uh, the uh, health centers weren't really a large presence at the Montana Telehealth Alliance because historically, telehealth has been the purview of hospitals and health systems. Um, and so that's really, but it really was really helpful to, like, learn uh, from people who had much more experience than I did and who had been doing it for a lot longer than I had and wow. found some really great colleagues and mentors there as well. Um, I'm currently serving as the president of the Montana Telehealth Alliance. Uh, just reelected, correct? <laughs> just reelected. <laughs> so I have another year, another term of doing that. and By your peers? Um, by my, Elected by my peers, exactly. So um, thanks, everyone, who, who voted for me. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I heard about it yesterday. <laughs> I was on a call. Jacqueline told us off. Oh, she was nice. bragging you up. Oh, so thanks, Jacqueline. <laughs> um, I, I also am involved in the Wyoming Telehealth Consortium as well. So since One Health has um, now have a presence in in Wyoming as well, I uh, figured it would be beneficial for me to learn more about what my colleagues are doing, um, you know, in in Wyoming. And uh, it's a different landscape, uh, you know, um, politically. Uh, specifically around Medica Medicaid sure. um, and a lot of other things as well. So I have a lot more to learn in that area just because I've um, been active in Montana for a lot longer. But uh, it's also another great group of folks that I'm really lucky to be to be working with. Cool. And it's very similar. The, the Wyoming Consortium is very similar to the Montana Telehealth Alliance? or It, it is. It's structured a little bit differently. The Montana, uh, sorry, the Wyoming uh, Telehealth Consortium is um, a state funded and state mandated program, whereas the Montana Telehealth Alliance is a member uh, organization. So it's a different structure. There, The activities are different. Um, so it, it looks a little bit different. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. So we're going to be talking about really three things this morning. I mean, three big things. One of the things you're going to explain, which we'll do next is, is Basically, what is telehealth, right? We want we want to get that information across to our listeners. Like, what is it? Uh, how does it function? How is it used? Then, how is it used at One Health? And then, um, what are some benefits? And I think that whole benefits piece is really going to be peppered in through all of what we're talking about when we're talking about what it is and how it's used in that sort of thing. So, why don't you start by just telling us 
What's telehealth? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, it's a it's a big uh, it's a big term because it encompasses a lot. So that's I, I think one of the things that people can get confused about is when you say telehealth, it means a lot of things to a lot of people and a lot of different things as well. Uh, so I want to um, I'm going to go into like the different types of telehealth and, and and some of the use cases that we have here at One Health, but. Um, Specifically, I, I think it's important to, to make the distinction that telehealth is a, a tool uh, with which we, you know, that we can leverage to provide health care. So uh, in my mind, and I think how we use it here at One Health, it's not its own specific service, uh, but it is something that can be used by you know, anybody who's providing that service uh, to reach patients uh, in a different way. Right. So like medical providers actually provide health care. Telehealth would be a means by which they provide health care. Is that a good way to say it? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you can provide uh, health care in person in a face-to-face visit. You can also do it um, over a video screen uh, to a patient as well. Okay. So, um, and that's actually a great segue into the first one that I want to talk about, which is the video visit. So again, telehealth is a broad term. One of the types of telehealth is what we call a live video visit. Um, and this is, uh, you know, obviously if you've ever, you know, used your phone to um, FaceTime or do a video call or used, you know, any number of tele, like video conferencing services. Zoom. Zoom. It's essentially the same thing, uh, except uh, for uh, the purposes that we use it here at One Health. Uh, We use a specific platform that is secure and encrypted and passes all of our privacy and security standards. So So you're saying I can't FaceTime my doctor and Um, just be like, hey, meet with me right now. (laughs) Well, actually, you um, during during the like initial days of, of COVID, you could because it was, you know, it was a it actually an emergency and people okay. needed to be able to see their patients and their providers. And for those health systems and organizations that didn't have telehealth programs in place, it was sort of like a, whatever you can do to see your patients, anything goes. And so there, you know, pa- providers were FaceTiming with their patients. Um, Zoom was being used and still is. Um, and so there's a lot of, it was sort of a little bit of a free for all. And it was not necessarily a bad thing because we were able to, could you know provide that continuity of care to our patients sure. um, through healthcare, uh, and um, what we've learned and what a lot of people learned during that time is that you know there are uh, security requirements for a reason. I don't know if you remember Zoom bombing was a big thing that happened early in the days of the pandemic, where people would just show up in Zoom meetings. Yeah, exactly. If that you didn't weren't have locked a pass down. Code, yep. If you weren't locked down, people were doing horrible things and being really disruptive to um, to calls, and that happened in in healthcare environments as well. So. Lessons learned, right? Like, um, not the easy way, obviously, but sure. um, we we're able to, uh, you know, move forward. And I think a lot of the tech companies obviously put put more safeguards in place to be able to do that. Um, so, uh, so that's the video visit. That's the video visit, and yeah. it's yeah, it is what exactly what it, what it feels like and looks like. Like you're on a call with your provider, you're having a conversation. You're not there in person. You're separated by distance, but you're seeing each other over the screen. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, um, you know, one of the things that also falls into the category of telehealth is telephone visits. See, that makes sense to me. Telehealth, right. exactly. telephone. Yep. Okay. Um, and a lot of what when we talk about telehealth, we also talk about like what is a billable service, like what we're like able to like bill insurance for. And so um, a lot of what I'm talking about today, like does sort of have that billable component to it. Uh, 
prior to the public health emergency, health centers weren't able to bill for telehealth services on a, like a large scale. Uh, it was sort of like um, insurance carrier by insurance carrier and uh, Medicare didn't cover that service, but because historically it was used for specialty care and specialty visits. So okay. obviously primary um, care centers and organizations don't house a lot of specialists. And so um, we uh, didn't fall into that category about being able to bill for, for telehealth visits. Now, what we learned during the pandemic is that actually primary care um, and behavioral health, there is a lot of utility for using telehealth to provide those services. And so now we are able to do that. That was one of the big changes that happened during the pandemic. Um, and uh, we do have permanent uh, provisions to be able to continue billing for services for behavioral health, both through um, telehealth and also through audio only, through telephone visits as oh, well. Oh, okay. So that's something that we're able to continue to do for behavioral health. Um, for primary care, we're still in a little bit of a limbo uh, around what's going to happen past the end of 2024. We're really hopeful that the um, federal government will allow us to continue this, but we're in a bit of an uncertain place until we know more. Okay, so all this stuff is done at a legislative level? or A lot of it is, yeah. There's a great resource out there, uh, the Centers for Connected Health Policy. They are a HRSA-funded organization um, that tracks telehealth legislation, telehealth legislation both at a state and national level. So um, it's a great resource. And there are, yes, um, legislate, legislative, but also like there's some administrative rules. I'm not really sure like how, which, what falls under which, but um, uh, one of the things that we're always keeping an eye on as well is the uh, Medicare physician fee schedule that comes out annually as well to that sort of tells us, are there new codes that we can build for telehealth and gotcha. what that looks like? So okay. it's, it's a little bit of a mixture all over the place. Would you say that was centers for connected? The centers for connected health policy, CCHP, and they're actually one of, uh, I know we love acronyms in healthcare, uh, but the Centers for Connected Health Policy is one of um, many actual um, telehealth resource centers. So uh, we actually fall under the region for the Northwest uh, Telehealth Resource Center, which is based currently out of the University of Utah. So they're scattered all across the United States. Um, gotcha. Basically, they're based regionally. Uh, in a lot of different areas and are available to anybody who has telehealth related questions. So I've reached out to them on, you know, like regulatory questions, um, a great resource to connect organizations and people with each other as well. If there are like organizations doing similar telehealth things. It sounds incredibly complex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you're um, on top of all of it, uh, Sarah. Uh, so, so we have the video visit. We have the telephone visit. What else can be considered telehealth? Yeah. So uh, one of the exciting things that we are starting to pilot here at One Health is a program called Remote Patient Monitoring. And uh, remote patient monitoring uh, is a little bit of a... Um, uh, mixed bag in terms of how we provide the services. Uh, it is a billable service um, and it allows patients to, who have typically have like some sort of chronic condition to be able to help manage, help them manage their condition from their home a little bit better. And I'm going to give an example because Please. it always is super more helpful than me just like talking. Absolutely. <laughs> theoretically. So uh, specifically we're working with patients with hypertension 
and um, which fancy is, term for blood, high blood pressure, exactly. right? Yep. Okay. Uh, so patients who have high blood pressure, which can lead to a lot of you know serious conditions like heart attacks and, and other things, a stroke. Yeah. Exactly. So um, one of the things that we can do is we if we enroll a patient in our RPM program, which again is, we're still in the pilot phase, so we're not ready to deploy this widespread yet. But um, this is provider-driven, so providers identify patients who might be good candidates for it. We have a conversation with the patient to see if that's something that they're interested in um, and are, are, have the capacity to do because there is the technology component of it. Uh, and then we ship them um, a what we call an, a remote patient monitoring kit. And within that kit, there is a, a tablet uh, that, is been, that is connected via Bluetooth to... Uh, blood pressure cuff, and a weight scale. And uh, the patient is then tasked with taking their blood pressure and their weight on a regular basis. Um, and that information is then, you know, typically if you're taking a blood pressure, um, you know, you have a couple of numbers that you have to remember or write down and then report back to your doctor. Uh, this information goes right up to the cloud. The secure cloud. The secure and encrypted cloud. Nice. And um, which then our, our clinical care teams can monitor that remotely from for our patients. From the clinic. From our clinic. So they can just have access to that data. They can pull up a screen mm-hmm. and pull down that information from the secure cloud. Exactly. And interesting. Yeah. So what we can do in those situations is be able to monitor our patients. So our patients are at home um, taking their blood pressure regularly, taking their weight regularly, answering a questionnaire like, how are you feeling? Do you have any headaches? And... Uh, we can see if they're doing well. And if they're doing well, fantastic. No issues, no concerns. Keep doing what you're doing. If we see things that are a little bit concerning, if we're seeing trends, if we're seeing high blood pressures, if we're seeing low blood pressures, we can reach out to that patient and say, hey, um, is there anything going on? Maybe they have like run out of their medication. Maybe mm-hmm. their medication needs to be adjusted. Um, and maybe they're having some stressful times at home. Like there's a lot, obviously there's a lot that goes on behind, you know, when patients aren't in the clinic, which is the majority of the time yeah. uh, that we can, you know, help helps us understand where that patient's coming from, helps us manage that patient without having them to come into the clinic, you know, more regularly than they already are. In other words, is beneficial for the patient. Yes. Right. And then it's, but it's also beneficial for a doctor, maybe. Right. Let me ask a quick question. Do they get like a notification or something like a bing, bing, so and so um, just took their blood pressure? Is that how it works? Or do they have to like set a reminder to check that kind of stuff? Yeah. that's a great question. We're, we're still sort of working through that. We have a dedicated staff member who is like responsible for checking that on a daily basis. So that's our responsibility as a care team is to make sure that we're keeping on top of that. Um, and we want to make sure that we're able to staff that appropriately. Uh, so yes, we see a notification on the screen that says like high blood pressure today. And then we can go in, take a look at that, communicate with the provider, communicate with the patient. The nice thing about this is that we also have the ability to initiate a video call to that patient's device also. So oh, if we, directly. Like, we can start a visit if we if that's something. We haven't done a lot of that yet. Again, we're still in the pilot phase. Wow. But it has a lot of, I think, potential um positive, uh, you know, use cases for, for, you know, making those connections between patients and care teams um, much more effective. Caveat, obviously, being this patient's already had established care. And so Mm -hmm. this has come out of a relationship with their provider where a provider has said, hey, you, you, you might be good for something like this, right? So this isn't something that just happens cold where correct yeah okay yes. and that's one of the benefits obviously of of um our organization being a primary care organization like 
we have that relationship with our patients and we, our patients have that relationship with our care teams. And it's, you know, it's not just the provider, it's our nurses, it's our, you know, it's everybody. So sure. it's just another way that we're able to, to care for our patients. Well, so far this, to me, I like this one the best out of the three so far. <laughs> so what else though is there? Yeah. So um, a couple of things that I think are um, maybe uh, sort of less what we call, you know, like the, when I talked about the billable services, um, but are really useful. Uh, there's another thing called what we call asynchronous telehealth. Uh, and this is one of the oldest forms of telehealth. And that is, you know, when, when it's not, when you're communicating between uh, a patient and a provider, that's not in real time. So when you think about emails, that's asynchronous because you're sure. not like, you know, obviously doing that in real time. You send it, somebody reads it at a later date, they can respond to it. And so you're, you're having that conversation, but it's not in real time. Sure. Um, radiologists have done this kind of telehealth for a long time, like sub- sending uh, radiology images to you know, from critical access hospitals to, uh, you know, like radiologists at health at like larger health centers. Okay. Um, that's one way to do it. Uh, another way that we're able to leverage that here at One Health is through our patient portal through like secure messaging between patients and providers. Okay. So that's something that we, um, that is sort of has a lot of different applications uh, and, and that we are able to use here at One Health as well. Is it done through an email or is it done more like on a, like a private message or a direct message? Typically, uh, anything in healthcare we want to make sure is secure for, yeah. for patient protection and, and patient privacy. So um, our patient portal, if again, if you're a One Health patient uh, and you're not signed up for the patient portal, it can be a really nice tool to be able to communicate with your care team. I just know I've used it. I have an app for SCL Intermountain mm-hmm. now, and yep. I see a dermatologist, and I've communicated with them over, over the app, which is, I assume it's secure. I mean, yeah. I have to scan my face to get into the <laughs> app and i assume it's secure on their end as well right where we've been able to communicate i haven't even been able to send pictures yeah. to them too dermatology seems like it lines up well with being able to dermatology is a great use for what we call asynchronous or you know secure messaging because dermatologists are you know busy busy people and you as a patient like if something's going on with your skin it can be concerning right. and alarming but if you can, are able to send an image to your provider and they can give a, a you know an initial look at it and say, you know what, I'm not worried about that. Um, you know, we'll get you in, you know, for your regular checkup. And so that's six saves, months or in a year saves right. the provider time. Yes. It gives you peace of mind as a patient. And so it's really it's a, another great use of technology to Yeah, and it saves me from having to drive up to Billings, which I've typically had to do, exactly. right? In order to go see them. So Yep. Okay, so that's asynchronous. Mm-hmm. Okay, is there any other uses of yes. technology in healthcare? Yep. Yes, there is. <laughs> okay. So there's like one last sort of catch-all for, uh, for telehealth that is uh, called mobile health or mHealth. And this has so many applications. And uh, the example that I love to use the most is uh, fitness trackers. So if you've got a Fitbit, if you've got an Apple Watch, if you are tracking your steps on any sort of app that connects to your phone, you are uh, participating in an, an mHealth um, telehealth option. Okay. Uh, this is, these services, like, you know, these um, apps and, and programs aren't typically, like, something that we, uh, is connected to, like, your health record or that we're billing for as a healthcare organization, but they can be really useful for helping patients manage their health goals um, to help inform your conversations with your providers. So, you, going back to the example of a fitness tracker, 
if you have a fitness goal, again, to maybe help with your hypertension, if you want to, you know, um, lose weight, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you would want to get more exercise. Uh, and using an app can really help with the, the management um, and help inform those conversations. So like, oh, I've got, you know, when I hit my goals for my steps today, that's something that, that can, that M Health can help with. Sure. Um, another great one I mentioned, like, you know, uh, diet and exercise, there's uh, meal trackers that you can use to help manage your, you know, calories or, or if, that, if that's something that you're wanting to, um, to look at. Uh, the other one that's really helpful and useful is I know that there's a lot of apps out there for diabetes management. And, and that's something that some people are able to give access, like those accounts can be, uh, you can give access to your provider to those. So your provider can, can have a look at that as well outside of a visit to see how you're doing. So much in the way sort of similar to remote patient monitoring, but sure. app-based as well. So lots of applications for mHealth, but those are just a couple that I like to give an example of. And you can choose to share some information. Like I was telling you yesterday about an instance I had with my doctor. I went to see him about some heart stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm giving him context and explaining, oh, I do this, I exercise and I run and I do this. And, and so he, he's, he said, do you track that stuff, you know, on your, on your watch? Mm -hmm. and, and I was able to pull up some stuff and there was some stuff that he was very interested in, particularly recovery, like how the heart recovers and it shows some of that information. So he was able to access that and then put me at ease and say, Hey, well, at least, you know, you don't need to stop exercising because, Blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was more involved than that, sure. right? But that was a little component that obviously he was able to use, the M Health component. Exactly, so. yep. Interesting. Cool. So then let's let's move into how how it's used at One Health. Sure. Yes. So we have um, a, a telehealth platform specific to uh, our organization, um, and it is, uh, it's called Tito Care, uh, T-Y-T-O-C-A-R-E. Uh, uh, they uh, have been our telehealth vendor for, um, I think four years now, I think 2019. So pre-pandemic, uh, <laughs> I just like to like make those distinctions in, in time because things get a little bit funny around that. But, um, we, uh, leverage this platform, uh, for a couple different workflows and use cases. We have what we call our, uh, clinic to clinic telehealth workflow and we have something called our direct to patient telehealth workflow okay so um i will talk through those a little bit so starting with the the clinic to clinic workflow <clears throat> excuse me um this is when a patient presents to one of our healthcare, like one of our clinic locations and connects to a one of our providers at a different one health clinic location so all of this is done internally we're connecting our staff to our you know like th these are our our own uh, clinics and organizations. So this is um, can be really helpful for uh, a lot of reasons. Um, we have, you know, as an organization, you know, we have providers who uh, might leave the organization. We have providers who might be out on leave. We have areas within our organization that are a little bit short staffed for a lot of, for various reasons at various times. Like and psychiatry, right? Psychiatry is a great example. So, um, you know, we are a, a large geographic, we cover a really large geographic area here at One Health. And uh, if, and we do employ a psychiatrist, um, Dr. Murray is fantastic. And she uh, sees patients at all of our clinic locations, like across, uh, you know, the entire 
you know, state of Montana and Wyoming. She's licensed in both of those states. And, uh, you know, if she were to spend time driving between those, each of our clinic locations, she yeah. wouldn't have any time to see patients. Absolutely. So she works remotely uh, from her home office and is able to uh, see patients at all of our clinic locations. And it's super beneficial for our patients because we have that really uh, highly specialized resource available to them. And um, it enables our provider also, Dr. Murray, I think that if, if she were to be physically located in one of our clinic locations, I think that there might be like, I think her resources may be more used in one clinic. So sure, if we're talking sure. about equity of service and making sure that all of our clinic locations have the same amount of access to one of our providers, that's really beneficial for, for our clinic locations, um, for our patients and also for Dr. Murray. So she sure. doesn't have to spend all of her time in the car. So, is it also used for medical visits as well? Is that a good use case for like a clinic to clinic, this clinic to clinic workflow you're talking about? It is, absolutely. So we can, uh, you know, we uh, have patients who need uh, to see a provider. We have some clinics that are more busy than others, but we have some clinics that are less busy than others. So if a patient calls and needs an appointment um, at one of our locations that maybe doesn't have as much availability, but if we're able to look at our schedule and see that a provider at a different location has an opening, we can have that patient come into the clinic that is available to them locally and connect to the provider who has time in their schedule to be able to see that patient. Nice. So we're able to use technology to like um, to, to leverage our staffing, uh, you know, ac- across our across our system, which is pretty cool. And then another thing that seems like it would be beneficial is, I mean, they would. There's probably a nurse, right, or an MA that's that's available at the clinic for these types of visits. Do they help get them set up when they come in? Or yes, great okay. question. So, for uh, medical visits and for behavioral, we do behavioral health visits uh, a lot as well during do, uh, for t- through telehealth. And uh, yes, when a patient presents at one of our clinic locations, it we try to we've tried to create our telehealth workflows to mimic our in-clinic workflows as much as possible. So the patient should be uh, experiencing something very similar to what they would if they were seeing a provider in person. So they come to the front desk, they check in, uh, and then a nurse or MA takes them back uh, to the clinic room, does the typical rooming process, which includes like, you know, updating your health history and and all that good stuff. Uh, At that point in time, after they're done with that, they bring in our, what we call our telehealth cart, which, which is really essentially uh, an iPad that's on a stand. Okay. So we're really, I think, one of the reasons that we benefit a lot from telehealth is that the technology has become much more affordable uh, since it first became available back in the 90s when the carts were like $60,000 each. Yeah. And these were, you know, obviously that's another reason why it was a lot more, uh, a lot um the use cases were more at hospitals and health sure. systems because they they're have, the ones that you yeah. know, could afford that and Absolutely. also for specialty services and that kind of thing. Because we're a primary care organization, we don't need 24-7 uptime. We don't need, like, we don't have high-acuity patients who need, like, you know, all of the, the gear and all of the uh, tech to be able to do that. We really just need that video platform, okay. which is great. And because we have staff at that where, where the patient is, they're able to help with any exams that might need to take place as well. Okay. So through the Tido Care platform, we have access to what we call peripherals or uh, te- the telehealth kit, uh, which allows us to perform exams on the patient um, that the provider can control and view. So we have the a stethoscope exam that we can do for heart and lungs. We have an otoscope 
that we can look in the patient's ears and then the throat exam, it's a camera, but basically just like a tongue depressor on the end of a camera that you can look into the patient's throat as well. So the thing for ears is called an otoscope. It's called an otoscope. That's weird. Yeah. I think it would be called an eroscope. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's probably dumb. Latin root something. I <laughs> You're <don't know>. probably <laughs> right. So otoscope goes in the ears and then they have the, they can do a throat mouth exam, mm-hmm. you said too? Correct. Yep. Interesting. Yep. So it's pretty cool. So the provider, and I've had a couple of people tell me that the, the camera on the uh, telehealth, on the TidoCare device is a really high quality camera and it gives a really nice view of what they need to look at. So that's helpful as well. Cool. Is that all with clinic to clinic or is there? That's most of what we do for clinic to clinic. Um, we do have some uh, home kits that patients can take home with them, but we haven't found that that's um, as highly utilized as our clinic to clinic kits. And that would lead into the next type of visit. You said there's some home kits, right? Mm-hmm. Can people meet with their provider at home? Yes. So we, uh, I think I mentioned that we call that our direct to patient work. So the direct-to-patient workflow can be really beneficial for a lot of our patients, specifically when we're talking about access to care and decreasing barriers to care. Like the transportation barrier? Exactly. Okay. Okay. So we have patients who may encounter transportation issues. Uh, Also, there's the issues of weather in the wintertime uh, in in Montana and Wyoming. (laughs) Roads get closed pretty regularly. and. That's uh, can be really challenging for a patient to have to miss an appointment because of because of those issues. Um, patients might not be able to take the time off of work to to come to the clinic. They might have a hard time finding childcare so that they can come to the clinic. So, what about anxiety? Exactly, is that one patients too? Patients might not might have a really hard time coming to the clinic just because of their because of their anxiety. So, in for a lot of reasons, the direct to patient visit is a really a uh, really good option for a lot of people. Mm. And what that looks like is a patient's, uh, we have a patient download the, the TidoCare app on their smartphone or device. We get them set up with an account. Our centralized intake team are rock stars when it comes to getting our patients set up with the telehealth visit, uh, telehealth app um, to help them get connected for the first time uh, to make sure that they feel comfortable with the technology and uh connect with them wherever they are. So that's a really beneficial use case. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked a lot about medical visits, and but you mentioned anxiety as well. Um, direct-to-patient visits and telehealth in general is really beneficial for behavioral health uh, because it really is you know, a lot of talk therapy. So you sure. really just need that either video, live video connection or even the telephone connection. So yeah, you don't need any specialized equipment to be able to yeah. do therapy, you right? You don't typically need a, a, you know, a physical exam for that. So it, it's really uh, the the highest utilization that we have for telehealth is for behavioral health. Okay. Yeah. And then I'm assuming you can do it in other places, not just your house, right? Like you could maybe do it in your car? Yes, uh, you can do it in your car. We ask that you not be operating a moving vehicle. <laughs> While you do your telehealth visit, we will um, stop that visit and ask you to reschedule. But it's funny because you think <laughs> that would go without saying, right? You, ha- you know, that's <laughs> so one thing that you learn about when you like start a program or really when you do anything new is that you don't think that you need to do make rules until you, until it happens, and then and then you do. Uh, so, but actually, like a car can be a really comfortable and safe place for people to take their telehealth visit again, sure. as long as they're not driving, because you know if you're Again, on on a break at work, there might not be a private location for you to take a telehealth visit. 
Um, if you don't have uh, access to Wi-Fi in your home, you can drive to your public library or oh, and just of a sit in the parking shop. lot and feed connect, off their Wi-Fi and connect to the Wi-Fi okay. and do a visit from there. Um, one of the things that we do ask during the intake process for our direct-to-patient visits is is we ask for a patient's physical location at the time of the visit. We do this for a couple of reasons. One is for patient safety. We want to make sure that, you know, God forbid anything happened, that we need to, like, send people to where the patient is. We want to know where they are. Um, But also there's some, uh, again, back to the regulation side of things, that wherever the patient is located during a direct-to-patient visit or clinic-to-clinic is where that service is being provided. So you might not think about, might not think twice about taking your regular weekly or monthly behavioral health visit when you're traveling outside of the state, but uh, whether or not the provider is licensed where you are going to be at the time of the visit can, can, could be an issue. Oh, that's what counts, huh? Where you're going to be. Exactly. So, so what you're saying is, is I can't have my regularly scheduled behavioral health visit and take my vacation to Maine and see my provider there. Unless your provider is licensed in Maine, okay. which I don't okay. think any of ours are. are. Um, but it's, it's something to keep in mind. And we, uh, you know, because we want to make sure that we're following all of the rules. And again, this ties back to patient safety and all of the uh, state boards for licensing are done sure. on a state by state basis. And they were set up before telehealth was a thing. And so there's a lot of conversations happening now around you know, what do we do about the licensing issue uh, from from a federal level? And there's a couple, there are interstate compacts which, which make provider licensing and nursing licensing a little bit easier between states, but it's still a process. So again, uh, you know, we, we, we try to avoid that as much as possible. We ask those questions when we schedule visits. We ask those questions when we do intake for those visits just okay. so we don't find ourselves in that situation. Quick question. I'm thinking if somebody... Right now, where my mind is going is if I wanted to get hooked up with Tidal, how difficult is it? Mm. Is it difficult to get connected to this app? I mean, I, we all know how to download an app, but then, right, do you have to create an account and you have to talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, so we've tried to make it as easy as possible for patients. Uh, we recognize that t- technology, when it works, is a beautiful thing, and when it doesn't, it can be really frustrating. And so we've... Uh, what we've done to make this as easy as possible for our patients is that when a patient expresses interest in a D2P visit or if they've talked to their provider about it and they you know, indicate that that's something that they're interested in doing, our centralized intake team will set the patient up with an account. So they will receive an email that says, really all we need is an email address. So that's another requirement um, that you do need an email address in order to to be able to use the the telehealth account for a direct to patient visit. Okay. And we send an email to that account and uh, there's just a couple steps to be able to complete the account setup. So um, it's like a couple of clicks. It is a download of an app, uh, but we like to think that it is a lot easier than it used to be. And so uh, assumption too, is that they have a smart device. Right. So which not everybody might have. So would that just take out the, direct to patient visit if somebody doesn't have a smart device yeah or let's say access to wi-fi in a rural area mm-hmm. yeah that is one of the challenges with providing telehealth um just generally but i think specifically in our region is that 
you know, there are some requirements to be able to do a direct-to-patient sure. telehealth visit, and you've hit on all of them. It's like you need access to Wi-Fi or a strong cellular connection and the willingness to use your data for that visit. Um, you do gotcha. need some sort of a smart device to be able to, con- you know, use the app to, to connect to connect to our care teams and not everybody has that. And so we want, and that's why we have a couple of options like, like telephone landline, like, right? Like audio only, um, which again, can't be used for everything, but is a good option for people who don't have that, that capability. Um, you know, digital equity is a really interesting um, conversation that's happening right now. Uh, there's a lot of work being done in our region around like broadband and connectivity. Um, it's a lot of cable to lay to get to these rural areas. And it's going to be a while before some of our communities get that. And so sure. we want to be mindful of that. Again, we try to you know provide options to patients. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, it's not an option but you know we're still here in the communities and we're still able to provide care in person obviously as well. Cool. So we talked about what telehealth is. We talked about how it's used at One Health. Um can I just ask real quick and and you might not have the answer for this, but is the way One Health uses it similar to way to the way other organizations use it? Do you know the answer to that question? Is this pretty common? In other words, yeah. the way we're doing it. I think that the way that we're doing it is uh, comparable to a lot of organizations. Um, you know, I think that it's an interesting question about how health centers leverage telehealth versus hospitals and, and health systems. Um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, different reasons to use telehealth. Uh, like I mentioned, behavioral health is, is a really really good use case for it. It really makes a lot of sense. Um, medically, uh, it really depends on what you want to be seen for. Sure. So as an organization, I, you know, I think that we, again, are, are using it as a tool to be able to provide the care that we need to um, and to give it as an option to both of our, both our patients and our care teams for what makes sense to them. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm just thinking about maybe somebody who's listening, who's not a patient of One Health, mm-hmm. but is considering telehealth as an option. And then maybe they go and to another organization and it's completely different, right? Sure. Yeah. I think depending on what platform you're using, like technology, like looks a little bit different depending on who owns the software and who's and how it's being facilitated for, you know, yes, for those of you out there who are listening, who aren't one health patients um, and are curious about it, I would say, ask your provider about it. Sure. If that's an option. I think that one of the things that I'm hopeful uh, about, you know, getting <laughs> this podcast out there is that we continue to educate people about, uh, you know, what is appropriate for telehealth. Uh, we continue to, to say that, yes, you know, it, it is an option uh, and it's a discussion to have with your provider. It's like, you know, the, your prescription uh, commercials that you see, like ask your doctor if telehealth is right for you. I think that it's something to that's worth exploring with your with your provider next time you have that conversation, if it's something you're interested in. Like, again, we're not telling everybody that they need to use it. And I want to be really clear about that too. Absolutely. Like this isn't a mandatory thing. This is, this is an option. This is a tool. And if it works for you and your care team, that's fantastic. So it's an option. It's a tool that could be used. One of the benefits we talked about was minimizing barriers to care, right? We talked specifically about the transportation barrier, maybe mm-hmm. the anxiety barrier, um, was there any other barriers or benefits to the patient that you wanted to talk about? Um, 
I think we've covered most of them. I think that, uh, yeah, just really making sure that the thing that I, you know, coming back to sort of my, my background in public health and, and working for a health center, I think that leveraging technology to decrease those barriers so that patients can access the care they need where and when they're able to or when they can or when they want to um, is really empowering for patients. I think that it's really um, it's really cool to be able to, to leverage technology to be able to do that. Awesome. So I'm thinking of one case that I heard about recently, and I just want to bring this up because I think it's a good example of how telehealth has benefited. We have school-based health centers, mm-hmm. and we have kids who are in school, and we have parents who are at work. And haven't we been able to connect a, a student at the school with a provider while a parent is able to just take a really quick moment from work and not have to travel. Yeah. Is that a good like example of how beneficial uh, telehealth has been? It's a great example. Okay. It's like, yes. And thank you for bringing up school-based health. Like we um, contract with, uh, you know, some schools to be able to provide in school behavioral health care, uh, medical health care uh, to, to really decrease the disruptions on kids during the school day. And so it's, yeah, an, a really amazing service that we're able to to provide. And to your point, Adam, yes, like we, ha- because we have technology, because we have the platform, because it's able to do that, we can involve multiple people in that call. And so if, you know, yes, we're the, the behavioral health provider might be in the clinic, they might be seeing that patient via telehealth as well, but we can also ask a parent or guardian to join that call as well if they're not able to come in to, you know, to the clinic or to the school or whatever. Um, yeah. Connecting people. And, you know, we talk about like the patient and provider, but there's m- many more people involved in that sure. care team, both from the clinic side and also from that family side of things as well. As a parent, that's very attractive to me. Mm-hmm. I want to be involved in my child's care. Right. And, and honestly, I don't necessarily want that happening without my involvement. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about school-based is you enroll in the program. It's sure, not like right. we're ever going to like... No, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> right. And that's done with parent yes. approval and the parent involvement. Yeah, totally. I get it. Yep. So, but then that creates an opportunity for a parent not to have to take off of work, a, a child not to have to uh, miss class mm-hmm. in order to do that. So it sounds like just sort of a win-win, which is. is a pretty cool thing. Absolutely. Well... I think we've talked about most of what we wanted to talk about today, Sarah. If I could just ask you one more question, sure. I would say, what do you think the future holds for telehealth? And then after you answer that, what do you want to leave people with today? Ah, uh, Great questions. Um, I think that as far as the, the future of telehealth, I, you know, there are we're obviously COVID was, was a really awful thing. Um, and, but I will say that if there is like any silver lining that came out of the pandemic, it has been the, uh, the opening up of the telehealth landscape and it really being able to come into the mainstream in a way that would not have happened without a pandemic. It really wouldn't have. And, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty from the regulatory standpoint. I talked about that earlier. Uh, I have a colleague who uses the analogy like, well, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Like you can't roll <laughs> back all of these things that we're currently allowed to do. People are going to be upset. <laughs> Providers are going to be upset. Like sure. we built all of these systems around being able to use it. That and we people really, have gotten used to it. And people are used to it. Yeah. Um, so my hope is that we will, as a, 
as a health center, be able to continue to do that. Um, if I, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball, I, but we're, you know, as far as I know that we're able to continue to do that until at least the end of 2024. So gotcha. if you're okay. a regulator listening, please allow us to continue to do that. Admittedly, that's a hard question. I'm <laughs> sorry. Hard like, question. Hey, get it your crystal ball out yeah. and tell us what the future well, holds. That's, you know, that's, that's the hope. Um, I know. I, I think that as we continue to grow and develop the program at One Health, it will continue to become easier um, and you know be incorporated into uh, our clinicians' practices. You know, even more so, and and people that will people who continue both you know on on the clinic side, on the patient side, um, will will find some utility in it. Again, you can't do everything via telehealth. I don't know that we've touched on that too much. Like there are things that you absolutely cannot do over technology. Right, right. Like brain <laughs> surgery. Like brain surgery, um, like dental procedures, uh, that kind of sure. thing. But uh, there's a lot of good use cases for it. So, um, you know, doing, and I will say that, you know, if you are a One Health patient, if you, or, you know, even if you're not, if you did telehealth at the beginning of the pandemic and it didn't work out great for you, know that we've got a few years under our belt and we've continued to improve things. So I would uh, encourage you to, to maybe give it a try uh, again. Um, for those of you who are One Health patients, uh, our centralized intake team, again, are really, really helpful for getting you set up to making sure you're comfortable with that. And if you want to give them a call to schedule a telehealth visit, you can call our centralized intake number, which is 877 778 Seven seven four seven. That's a lot of sevens. It's a lot. Of <laughs> it's good that it's easily remembered. <laughs> well, you think it's probably might be easily remembered or easily confused. Right. Huh? Well, probably the former. <laughs> cool. And then just remember to, if if you're wondering, talk to your primary care provider, mm-hmm. and they should be able to help you yeah. through that. So. Absolutely. Cool. Thanks, Sarah, for coming in. Uh, thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Hope it was helpful for you. We'll talk to you next time.